This is the world of Salesforce and Dropbox, HubSpot and Evernote, a world unthinkable without cloud software services. Most businesses and consumers use SaaS every day to get work done. Driven by the internet and ever-expanding availability of bandwidth, SaaS has come to dominate our lives in a very short span of time. But developing a defining service, often ahead of its time, getting users to engage, secure funding, protect IP, and building a truly remarkable and successful SaaS is not an easy task. SaaS Stories brings conversations with the dreamers and visionaries who dare to think ahead. How they build their SaaS, genesis, struggles, trials, tribulations, and eventually success. Welcome to SaaS Stories. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Welcome to this episode of SaaS Stories. Business intelligence and usable data is a key growth area in the world of SaaS. Solidify is emerging as an important player in this space focused on the enterprise segment and to learn about their journey we met up with Florin Tufan, CEO and co-founder of Solidify. Most of the business data comes from two sources. Uh, comes from LinkedIn or any major company that uh, reached the scale needed to structure huge uh, data on hundreds of millions of companies, tens of millions to be more precise. Okay, so one, there's LinkedIn and two, there's you buy it from the government. And with the government, you have the same, you, you basically inherit all the, the, the inaccuracies of the government data. So, for example, in most countries, you have no incentive to declare your real business activity. Sometimes you don't have the accurate code to declare your business activity. For example, for us, we do software development. Is that what we do? You can, you can say that. If you go to our profile on Crunchbase, you'll find a much better definition than just software development, of course. But in relationship to the government, that's all we can classify as. And that was before we knew what we're going to do. And if we had become a web development agency and just made a different call at some point, it would have still said software development. Florin Tufan is the co-founder and CEO of Solidify. He comes with a deep background in marketing and product management with a passion for deep tech and finding the solution to complicated problems. Solidify is a big data company and uses AI to gather in-depth and updated information on 60 million plus companies worldwide. The data is used by small and large companies for a number of use cases from sales to marketing to procurement. Now, on to this interesting episode of SaaS Stories with Florin Tufan. Florin, welcome to SaaS Stories. I'm delighted to have you here uh, in the show. I really am you know, intrigued by the journey that you have had so far and the success that you have got. And I believe there will be lots for SaaS founders to learn. So tell us a bit about you, your background and how you got into Solidify. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it started off as an accident. Uh, I had this uh, guy at, at work. I, I used to be uh, a product manager in a large uh, mobile app publishing company. Um, and I had this guy at work who was the VP of, of uh, web development, uh, we, who I had a great relationship and I thought he's a great, very committed guy. He was the, 
I remember at one time he had a task that was uh, turned out to be a lot harder than he thought he was. So we came back at work the next day and found him in the exact same position. And he wasn't even pissed, like that's who, who he is. So I had this guy in, at my office, his name is, is Mihai. Uh, we just wanted to do something on the site together, like, well, let's, let's do something, let's do something that starts, that seems interesting to us and we not care about any, not even care about doing market research beforehand. Mm. Let's mm. just start a, a, a hobby project. Uh, and we had this third friend who was also a coder, uh, and the agreement between us was like, I'll handle all the non-coding stuff, you handle all the coding stuff you too, between you two. Um, and we just started exploring during the week as just working on, uh, we liked data, we liked B2B, we liked a number of problems that we just started exploring the problems talking to people uh, and for the first six months I, it didn't have any sort of form. It was just a business, uh, a weekend activity hmm. that we couldn't even name. Right. So so when, when did you see that, well, I think it's serious enough and we have put in enough work and this is a marketable idea, so let's create an MVP and go and test it out? Um, well, uh, with what we discovered, <laughs> Uh, while just exploring the problem, we discovered some problems in some companies that looked alike and they were all related to sales and marketing data. Um, so we decided to call that a uh, to call that a project that we do together and, and just build a number of projects around it. Um, and it, it, we started seeing patterns at some mm. point and it started being, we, we, uh, we were at some point we said, okay, we can solve this for this client um, in, in exchange for money, but we could solve it five times better for a hundred clients if we had enough time. So, and it was time to quit our jobs basically. And it wasn't, we weren't making enough money to support ourselves at that point, but we thought uh, we had some money with good jobs and so on. Um, and we just, we just thought that it has, um, the patterns are clear enough that it, it, it's good enough to invest most of our times into it. Um, so the, it's a tricky thing, right? So you have a steady job and now yeah. you are uh, you are entering, you are in a mobile app company which was building mobile apps and you are getting into a space which is about data. It's not really aligned, so to say. I mean, of course, I mean, I understand mobile apps, apps and related data and all that. But here you are, you are embarking on a completely different journey. And, and also the fact there were lots of companies doing that stuff, right? I mean, starting with the discover orgs of the world down. I mean, I can name so many of them who were all sure. talking of data. So how did you sort of rationalize it to yourself saying, huh, this is yeah. a good idea? Um, we had a client in the US who had a lot of resources. They just raised a pretty big round. Mm -hmm. um, they had a pretty big team and they were struggling with, with problems that were so basic for so long, willing to throw money at them, that we just figured, okay, this is a good enough proxy to the market if they didn't find the best solution. Because mm -hmm. can you really say that of, of really mature categories? Can you say, can you, say you, you know a company that has tens of millions of dollars and doesn't have a good support chat system. Like, is, is that the case in, in really mature markets? Um, so we, we thought it's just a good enough proxy. We had other clients that were similar, but this one we thought if they had the best 
solution, they wouldn't be having the, these basic struggles. Right. Uh, and they were paying competitors already. So we, we knew they were paying other companies five times, ten times the amount they were paying us. Hmm. Um, and we were, and the solution we had before having a product was much better than theirs. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't the bet that you make when you say, oh, this is going to be a billion dollar company. It was like there's something there. It's worth exploring. We have all the assumptions we should have in place. The, the proof indicates towards something. So let's let's give it more time. Um, and it's, it's honestly, it's just a discovery journey for us. Right. Um, you make you make a lot of commitments uh, on the road. You make commitments to different employees when you give them stock. You make commitments to investors, and those those kind of things become business objectives that mm. you take seriously. But at the end of the day, it is a discovery journey. <laughs> right. So so from the point when you decided we'll do a weekend uh, project to leaving the yeah. job was about six months, right? Um, it was about six months uh, since we started exploring, had a few small clients. When we took this one, which was bigger, uh, it was either either this one caused us to quit our jobs or we did it right before it. I don't, okay. I don't remember, but it, these two coins coincided. Hmm. Um, and in about two months, we did enough ser- enough enough services, uh, contracts to basically support ourselves and a, a very small apartment which served as an office. Right. So, so this is 2018. Is that correct? This is 2019. 2019. Yes. Okay. So, so very interesting because um, I met with somebody who runs a VC firm in the valley, yeah. and and he sort of said, you know, we need to turn SaaS on its head. So we say SaaS is software as a service, yeah. but a better way to success is to create service as a software. And yes. you guys, you guys apparently did that. So you started <laughs> with a service, and you found paying customers, and then you automated the process for a larger target market. Is is that how it went? Yes, but but I would say by accident. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I call the information we had at that point that there's something there. Um, mm. It shouldn't be this easy from a small apartment with no. We were doing. We were just nerds exploring different technical solutions with um, with our most. Uh, most of our, our main question was: Is this possible, and how far can we get? Hmm. And it shouldn't be able to. We shouldn't be able to get clients from uh, all corners of the world with basically the same problem. Even hmm. though we were doing services, and it's a lot better to sell services than a, a product because it's less risk for the client. Um, but at, at some point, we said, like, look, we need to stop from doing services because we'll never do a product. And that was that was a really difficult choice. So tell me, what was the service that you that you saw everybody needed across the world? What was the service that you are providing finally at that point? The story we kept hearing was uh, I need data. I paid a lot for data about companies. Um, most of them were using it in a sales use case, so mm. data about companies that where I can my target companies, very specific companies, very specific data points. Um, think, for example, uh, any data that helps you do retargeting campaigns, mm. for example. Some of them weren't in, in sales, some of them were in finance. We helped a credit scoring company get a better view on the Southeast Mar- uh, Asia market and so on. 
but the story we kept hearing was like I, I paid so much for data in the past year just to see that it sucks <laughs> regardless of where I get it from and how much it costs. <laughs> and we spent enough time with them to understand what, are, what were the root causes and had a hope, and it was a hope at that point that we can solve it using a, a smarter AI approach. Uh, so because because what they did, what they what the companies did in essence, they said we are paying a lot for bad data, and that's including the large one of some of the largest companies in the world. And they said we're paying a lot for very bad data, uh, and if we have teams of people and pay someone on Fiverr, they'll come up with so much better data. And that's that's not something you should be able to say in 2021, right? Yeah, right. Right. So, so what did you see was the real problem? Why was it? Why was the data bad? And why did you think that you could actually solve it as you tried to productize it? There are two main reasons. Um, this market is so big and so old that the companies dominating it just started in an age where that was the best. Uh, it, where where you didn't need to do a great job to be a big company. Mm-hmm. And the market is so big that they became big enough that they can just monopolize different markets until someone uh, until someone threatens that. Hmm. And even if they do, they'll usually buy them and buy more time. Right. So, right. And that's the number one reason. The second reason is that most data use cases weren't around ten years ago before the big data revolution. So even if you're a company that was built 200 years ago, uh, as some of some data companies are, uh, there's no way you're prepared for the big data revolution that just happened in the 2010s. Right. So finally, there is a raw data that has to be gathered. And I presume that everybody in the space has access to those raw data in whatever form. Or is that not a correct statement? It's a correct statement, yes. Everybody could, yes. So the way to add value or better value is to take a differentiated approach to the analysis of that data. Is that correct? Look, um, anyone could build a Google because it's public data that's just indexed and returned really quickly and accurately for the search term. Uh, But it's almost impossible today. But at, at some point when they did, everybody had access to the same resources. Hmm. But then over time, you learn more than others because you got this, you, you, you got uh, quicker at the first steps. Right. So, and it's, it's very similar. Um, look, what, what, what most, most of the business data comes from two sources. Hmm. Uh, comes from LinkedIn or any major company that uh, reached the scale needed to structure huge uh, data on hundreds of millions of companies, tens of millions to be more precise. Mm. Um, so that's that's one, you get it from LinkedIn and you know nothing else than LinkedIn does and you have no way of checking it. So even if you, it doesn't matter what technology you put on top to check it, to interpret differently, is, is you have access to that and that's it and you, you know nothing else. Okay, so one, there's LinkedIn, and two, there's you buy it from the government. Hmm. Um, and with the government, you have the same. You you basically inherit all the the, 
the inaccuracies of the government data. So, for example, in most countries, you have no incentive to declare your real business activity. Sometimes right. you don't have the accurate code to declare your business activity. For example, for us, we do software development. Is that what we do? You can, you can say that. If you yeah. go to our profile on Crunchbase, you'll find a much better definition than just software development, of course. Hmm. But in relationship to the government, that's all we can classify as. And that was before we knew what we're going to do. And if we had become a web development agency and just made a different call at some point, it would have still said software development. And there's no incentive for us to ever update that until the end of time, basically. Right, right. Um, so some, some of our competitors are buying that information and the only way to find us is to just look for software development companies in, uh, in Bucharest. Or not in Bucharest, we're not even based legally in Bucharest. Hmm. Uh, so the, they'll never know we have a different location than the one registered with the government, hmm. which we did for tax purposes. Hmm. Um, and uh, till the end of time, we're, we're a software development company, regardless of what happens in reality. Right. Right. Um, so we thought there's a better way, which is closer to what humans do, where you just research. Um, maybe you Google search, you go to the social media, you go to the company's website, you visit specific pages, you look up articles on the founders, you look up articles on the company and bundle that up together, structure it, um, have descriptive pieces of text if, if needed, where there's a story about the company, but also have a specific label where you're not a software development, but you're a web design agency or a search engine optimization agency. And that data is ready for any big data use case. If you need to segment the clients of a large telco, Right. You'd rather use this data than buy it from the government. Right. By the time you have reached this stage where your services business now can become a product uh, or you have enough data to actually convert it into a product, have you raised money at this point? Um, no, we had, we waited. Um, first of all, we had, I think, three or four iterations where uh, our product didn't do what it was supposed to do. So we onboarded a number of beta testers, mm. repeatedly different beta testers. Uh, we were very careful that they're in our target market, both geographically and as what, what they did as people or as companies. Mm -hmm. um, and for the first three iterations, we just got the feedback that it sucks. <laughs> like the feedback was more like, it would be really great if it did what it says it did, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, it, it this took maybe I think in, I think about six months so to just go through right like, so, harsh so, feedback. So in terms of timeline, it is towards the end of 2019. Is that where you are at that point? Yes, that's okay. perfect. That's okay. uh, January 2020. We started getting good feedback. Okay, okay. So, but at uh, up to that time, you have not raised any money. No. And did you have any paying customers? Apart from your service business? Some, but not enough. Oh, uh, sorry, I forgot mm. this. We got some money from our me and Mihai's former boss, mm. uh, which acted as an angel investor. Okay. But it, 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 was, some, it was more like a farewell uh, money when we, when we <laughs> uh, 
uh, when we quit our jobs, he said something like, you don't have to tell me what you're building. Um, just make it like we, it doesn't matter. I want to be a part of it, mm. uh, but take this money. And even if you don't need it, uh, just so you're not pressured to make a decision right. based on, on paying the rent. Uh, so at that point, that's, uh, we still had that money and didn't really touch it. Uh, and we could take, we could have taken six months. Yeah. We, we had this comfort. Yes. And how much was so that we, money? If I may ask. It was 50,000 euros. 50,000 euros. And how much yes. does that gentleman who had put in that 50,000 euros now own in your company? He still owns about 5%. Oh, um, nice. But here's the thing. He's a very good friend. I know. So it's, yeah, we're, uh, it's, it's, he got a good investment deal from like an investor's perspective. Uh, but as a friend, we're, we're happy if he makes a lot of money. Of course. I mean, uh, uh, at that point, somebody giving you 50,000 euros is, uh, is invaluable, right? You cannot put a value to that money. Uh, it is the trust and the, and the confidence that it was giving you uh, and he was showing in you, right? I think, yes, definitely. And there's, I, I, I'm not able to name another person that would have made the same choice. But <laughs> since, since it happened, um, I was thinking if you have a million euros, you, it's probably a very good investment strategy if you just know, if you have a good network mm. and you know a lot of people that start working on stuff, um, you, you get equity in 20 companies for a million euros at an extremely good price and mm. just one of them has to become a good company, a decent company, not just, not, not even a billion dollars or right. something huge. Right. Right. So, he got a good deal, we got a good deal, but I think it, he should have uh, done this with 20 other companies and it would have still been a good investment strategy. Maybe, maybe he will after, after, after uh, your journey, <laughs> journey gets. So, so tell me, I mean, at this point you have a few paying customers and how much were they typically paying you? With, with services um, between five and 10,000 uh, for a one to two months pro project and we, we did like five at a time. Yeah, so and you, you, you would have, than, uh, 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 sorry, how many customers by that time? I don't recall. Okay. Uh, in 10, 20, 10. Okay. 20, okay. maybe 20. that were um, two uh, one would take a two month process then take a three month break and then right. go back and take a sure. two month process, sure. something like that. So they will it be wasn't keeping... a solid business. It was just paying the rent. Right. I, I understand. I mean, it, they were still coming back to you to do more stuff and all that. So, so once uh, January 2020 came and your product was sort of stabilized, how long did it take you to get actually recurring paying customers? Because you said there are two, two types of customers, right? One is the end user. Other is the guys who are integrating your API uh, inside mm -hmm. their own products. So how, how did that come about? To give you a quick answer, four months. Mm. Um, but the reason why we stopped doing services or tried to as much as possible, uh, it's because we our thesis was that if we do enough services projects, uh, we'll have a good product at the end. And it turns out that in practice, you don't have a good project, a good product because you do services instead of just maybe focusing and, and releasing something in two weeks that would otherwise take you two months if you mm. still do services on the side. Even if the services were around data, we were building the technology, building the infrastructure, paying for service. So in theory, it should have worked. But we had to stop and we said, like, look, let's take a risk. 
if we're not there in six months and 12 months and we cannot raise money and we cannot get people to pay us and then, oh well let's move on to the next thing or um, take a detour or right. get back to services but let's let's take the risk and 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 run out of money and run out of money we did <laughs> mm. um, we ran out of money in june i think uh but mm. by then we had we had a few paying cl- uh, paying customers for the SaaS company so we were able to get 200,000 from from a vc firm okay yeah so how many uh, customers in the SaaS company by now this is like middle of 2020 right Yes, uh, six months in, in, since uh, really releasing the SaaS product with good mm. feedback. Uh, what, what we would call an MVP, like mm. a good MVP. <laughs> right. So how many and customers actually, did you have at that point of time? Um, maybe 15, 20 that were paying a relatively, I don't know, maybe a hundred. No, uh, I think, no, I, I know in, in terms of MRR, we were at... Uh, three thousand. Three thousand. Yes. Okay. And and on an average, each was paying how much? One hundred and fifty to hundred. Okay. It's time for a short break. Florin started detailing out the early days of Solidify. It began with cold emailing a database of 20,000 SaaS companies. As we come back, we will drill down from the MRR to ACV to the exact method that Florin was applying to identify these paying customers. Stay with us. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at B-I-Z-C-A-S-T dot I-N. Business Podcast Network. Podcasts end to end. Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for SaaS Stories and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Right before the break, I asked Florin how exactly was he slicing his database to find the prospects who were most likely to sign up as paying customers. Listen in. And, and how did you get, get these 20 uh, companies? Um, I sent cold emails. To whom? Uh, to, to, you, you, you are the database. I mean, I, I should not forget that. I should not forget that. <laughs> I, but. I built a database of, uh, of uh, 20,000 SaaS companies that were giving indicators that they're serious companies. I don't know. They had a good Captera uh, profile. They would keep social media updated. So it, at least we knew that they were active companies or linking towards uh, blogging oftenly, um, linking towards accelerator programs, anything that would give us indicators that they are looking for the, uh, for they're, they're still looking for the first customers, but right. they already had the first customer. <laughs> right, right. Um, and we broke that down into very specific segments. Like this is a SaaS that targets digital agencies. This is a SaaS that targets lawyers. This is a SaaS, whatever. And we would make custom messages for each small niche. Okay. Uh, and that's got very good results. We had we, we do we did have lots of users though. Lots of users, uh, very poor conversion to paid, and that's true to this day. 
So what is your, uh, you know, sign up to conversion ratio today? Sign up to conversion, uh, it's a, it's about 2%. 2%. What, what, what is your thought about this model where people come and use, but they don't sign up? Do you, do you think that that, that funnel can be tightened? Um, I think it can, of course, sure, for sure it can be, for sure it can be. Um, I think there are low hanging fruits that you can do, like fixing your onboarding. Uh, where where you can iterate twice a week and, and get good results. Um, but then you're always in a race against time uh, before mm. change, like you have a number of bullets, a number of major changes you can do. Mm. Um, and you have to be careful which one you choose. Like you're, mm. you're always running out of time. Right, right. So you can, but the question is, can you make the appropriate changes in due time so that this strategy takes you to the next level? Right, right, absolutely. So, so f- from twenty customers, say in in June of twenty twenty, we are nearly one year through. Although it's not a normal year by any stretch, uh, where is your customer base today? Um, our customer base didn't grow that much in terms of numbers. Mm. Uh, it grew really uh, disproportionately in terms of the average order value. Okay, like, we. So of course we don't have twenty clients now we have in the in the hundreds. Mm. Uh, most of them are are paying less than a hundred dollars a month, mm. um, but there's a handful that pays over fifty thousand a year. Okay, okay. And sometimes significantly over that. So it's we just and that's that's why I said you have a limited number of bullets and you get to make a call, but. Um, you can change your mind for an infinite number of times. Maybe you can change your mind three times in terms of who's your, in terms of, I don't know, maybe even the, the core value proposition or who your target market is. But you need to be to be lucky early enough so that you can keep on playing. Right. So so my question to you is, you, you released a SaaS. You had yes. $3,000 of MRR uh, in June of 2020. Yes. How did you figure out that there is opportunity where some, maybe 10 companies will be willing to pay you $50,000 a year? Um, we were aware that we're, we don't have the $1 billion potential on the trajectory we were. Mm, mm. Um, but then again, we started off, uh, we started like this as a trajectory. Like it, we started like, look at this opportunity. Where do we start? Where it looks like we're making most of our money in the sales use case. Uh, it's probably a problem that a thousand companies have and then a hundred thousand companies will have with and then you narrow it down to like a specific profile like I started doing cold emailing on early stage startups that there's a question mark do they know their target market already and then on very specific types of clients targeting specific types of niche and there's so many assumptions that you make on on that road like you say uh, okay this is a this here's 500 early stage startups that target digital agencies, hmm. I'm going to sell my software to them and help them reach those digital agencies. And maybe two months later, or specifically two months later, you find out that that's not their best channel. Like you're hmm. selling something to them that they will use in a different way. Or and, and those assumptions that you make on the way, you have to figure out which one is wrong uh, uh, early enough. So we basically had a good idea of which one was wrong and we knew that if we're raising money and get to uh, basically get two more years of runway 
or 18 months of runway. Uh, that gives us enough time to, to change our assumptions, have the time to validate them, have the time to go to the next level. And that was the bet we made, and we find VCs, we found VCs that were willing to make the same bet. Uh, we told them from the start, like we don't know what the right thing, this is the information we have, this is the assumptions we made, this is the data we have. And also some good numbers, like in terms of users, for example, we were getting about, I think at that point, about 10 signups a day organically mm. with no marketing budget and no, and just, it was just us three founders. And right. we, yeah, we built a software with a big data infrastructure with crawlers that were costing us $10,000 a, a month and so on. So, so my question remains, how did you figure out that there'll be a company who will be willing to pay you $50,000 a year? How, how did you reach oh. from, from your, from your $150, how did you reach which is like $1,800 per annum, how did you get to this $50,000 uh, customer profile? We got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, the friend that gave us the 50K at the beginning, he says this, uh, he, he says this a lot. He says, uh, in business, all you have to do is stay, uh, is stay alive long enough and the right opportunity will find you. <laughs> I think that's, that's a bit naive. It did turn yeah. out uh, true in his businesses though. <laughs> Uh, he literally closed down a company but didn't do the paperwork and he sold it six months later with no employees and <laughs> nothing but just some legacy assets that we, we thought were, were, were garbage. Or yeah. like we didn't see the value and there was the right company that in those assets where we didn't see any value. They... Right. So, um, but no, it's, I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying for sure. Yeah. Um, we weren't aware that we can sell to a 50k a year uh, client. We were very close to making the call of just going for large user numbers, mm. uh, good usage metrics and nothing else, like making it all free mm. uh, and going for a completely different business model. We were really close to making that call. Um, mm. We found uh, a couple of partners that said, look, I have this client I'm already working with. We got visibility. We had a lot of organic users. Mm. We had people talking about us a good chunk of our user base was happy with what they were getting. So we got discovered by a lot of people and they basically told us enough people told us that we were using our asset in the wrong way and catering it to the wrong market. And at some point we, we, we were wise enough to let our stubbornness apart. <laughs> right. Um, and it actually happened repeatedly. Like they were trying, they were knocking at our door and it was, a guy saying, look, I work with this 10 corporations, I'm doing a lot of software development projects for them. If I had what you guys have, I would just embed it in one of those projects. I'll tell you the use cases, I'll bring the clients to you, let's revenue share and stop doing this. <laughs> hmm, hmm. Uh, and it happened for, for a couple of times. Um, oh. I'm, not, I'm not the type of, and being the, the CEO and I'm not comfortable with, enter, I wasn't comfortable and wasn't familiar with enterprise deals. Right. I still am not. Um, I, I was very stubborn and just, I was basically stuck in a comfort zone. Hmm. I was an early stage startup that was very, uh, I, I was leading an early stage startup that was very stubborn to work with other early. Right. Around June, you raised hundred thousand dollars for for your uh, from a VC, right? Have you raised any further money since then? Yes, uh, we raised another one point five million in the autumn. Uh, in the autumn, uh, in Q four last year. Okay, 
and, and these these were uh, VCs based where in Europe? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, fine. It's a it's a much better choice. Uh, so the 100k you can usually at at least in Europe and as far as I know in the US as well, um, you can basically get it from anywhere. There's there's a lot lot of VC funds or accelerators that will just place the 50k, 100k, 200k bet yeah. in in a good thesis and just spray and pray do it in 50 uh, companies, 100 companies at the same time and it usually plays, it, it works well, right? Because if, if you strike gold with one of them, it will yeah. pay for all the others. Uh, so for pre-seed funds, uh, there's usually a lot of options. Hmm. Um, and it it gets more and more serious with with each round, but it's it's usually a lot easier to take it very close to home, so that you don't have a cultural gap, so that you don't have an expectation gap, so that they can background check you, talk to yeah. your former partners, uh, people you've worked with. It it always helps. Right. You don't you don't have to earn all the trust yourself in face to face meetings and so on when when you're part of the same environment. Right. So how, what was the valuation at which you raised this 1.5 million? Uh, we raised it at, let me do the conversion in, in dollars, uh, about 6.5, I think, okay. ish. Okay. We, we work in euros, right, about right. 6.5 dollars. Okay, wonderful. So, so let's change gear. Let's talk about competition. Uh, there are big, big guys, there are small guys, there are all kinds of people doing sort of the same thing that you are doing, you know? giving access to data about companies. Typically, sales is the most uh, preferred use case. Uh, yeah. What do you think about companies like Zoom Info, Discover Org, uh, you know, even if, even comp- uh, you know uh, uh, apps like Seamless and so on, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, did you consider them competition? If you do, how do you differentiate with, with them? Um, I do consider them competition. Did consider them competition more than I do now. Now they're sort of in the same space, but not really competitors. We don't, com- we haven't heard the name Zoom Info in a while from clients, because we're we're going from a, for a different typology. But back when we wanted to cater to early stage startups, um, we were in a competition with Seamless. And the problem is that, and the problem is that the. The promise is the same, right? As you mentioned, like as an outsider, as someone that doesn't have the time to test 20 tools, it's really hard to figure out what sets them apart, right? Mm. And it's usually at that point, someone wins the category and becomes the tool for that, like Canva is for social media pictures, right? And even if you come with the same promise, even if you do like Canva for video, it's really hard to make people associate a different product with the same so, so basically what we saw in, in, in sales is that there, um, in the US at least, there are two types of companies, those, those that use Zoom Info and those that cannot afford it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the US. And if you go farther and farther away, yeah, they don't have the good coverage, they don't have good accuracy. Uh, but even, even companies in Europe, they are companies targeting US clients and those that aren't there yet. <laughs> um, hmm. So it's tricky finding like a very small niche, and it was one of our our, our problems. Of course, it's it was our mistake as well because you, you have to find a way to like explain what sets you apart. Uh, but also the uh, also there are markets in which you can easily and markets where it's harder. Uh, and we were in a market where it's harder. Now um, 
seamless the data from seamless if you put linkedin with uh, uh, with data outdated from for two months uh, and you put seamless next to it you get the same linkedin has more data but the data you have you see in seamless is the data from linkedin two months ago um, emails you get i don't know 80 percent accuracy um, we were trying to we were trying to or I'll, I'll explain what we were trying to do a bit later. Uh, with, with Seamless, it's very cheap. It does what it says it does. You don't, if you don't care and just do big numbers and it's gonna do the job. Uh, with Zoom Info, you get what you're, what you're promised. You get good accuracy, you get in-depth data, C-level executives, large companies based in US, billion dollar plus public companies and so on. You get, and you get good, good data on that. If you want to target lawyers, though, they won't be on LinkedIn. If you want to target doctors, they won't be on LinkedIn. If you want to target small business owners, they won't be in Zoom Info. They won't be in Seamless. They won't be on LinkedIn. If you want to drive the strategy as we did, where you want to contact 20,000 early stage SaaS startups and group them by niche, um, there's no tool helping you do that. So our uh, job was to find those that care enough so that they do, uh, they do the segmentation and care enough. It's more of an ROI metric. Like if you send 20,000 emails with the same text um, and you send 20,000 emails with uh, the text customized based on each segment and so on, what's the difference in results? And that's the difference you're, you're you, and, and that basically gives you the, the amount of work and time you're, you should be willing to put in. To this task, so our mission was to find these companies. Right, um, and we did a poor job at first. In June last year, when we weren't, uh, I think we got a lot of signups and still do to this day because it is a big problem and because most of the products suck and it, it's very frustrating as a user to try five solutions and see they all suck and not understand why and why no one cares to really solve your problem. So we were getting and still do get a lot of signups. We switched to giving them a lot more on the free plan, not trying to convert, just enjoy the awareness. And uh, at some point, I think uh, good karma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and uh, just work with clients where where it really is worth it. Uh, where it's worth it for them to have their, to have accurate data in depth, know more information about small businesses, and no one is competing on small businesses. Like if you have, I'll give you an example. One of the first clients that were that was willing to pay us enterprise was an insurance company, and their problem was that a lot of handymen, uh, contractors, construction companies, uh, small. Uh, Restaurants that were born six months ago, or beauty salons, or so and so on, they were starting to require insurance, for example, for selling online. And it was more costly to have people um, process and quote those insurance queries um, than it, than the money they were making in working with these small businesses. Um, so basically, they are using our data to pass. 60% of them with no human supervision. Right. And that's with the same data from our perspective, with the same product. One one problem is worth maybe $100 solving and one problem is $100,000 worth 
solving with this rough, roughly the same product. So our journey in the past year and a half was basically find the right niche of problem. Right. Niche of the problem. Right. So this is a good time to talk about the future. Where do you see Solidify, say, three years down the line? I think more than three years prediction uh, will be <laughs> just that. Uh, but I, I, I believe that you have a vision where you want to be, say, in 2024, 2023, 2024. In 2024, um, we should be, um, it's from the product perspective, uh, I think we're, we're way uh, farther ahead than all the other things that make a business. For example, partnerships, marketing, um, awareness on the product and so on. So what I what I think it's what I wish this company is in 2024 is catching up with, uh, for example, the num the popularity of our free tools, uh, the number of partners in our distribution, uh, the number of enterprise clients we work with, catch up with the level of technology. So basically, just beat all the competitors. Uh, that we can objectively, by product metrics, already beat, uh, mm. have the go-to-market that can enable us to beat them in the market as well. So, so what what is stopping you? I mean, you you know the gap, you know you have a superior product. What would, for example, let you go after Zoom Info? Um, we don't want to go after Zoom Info. Uh, okay. We want to go after companies like Dun & Bradstreet. Okay. Not even after. We think we think they have this huge market mm. um, that with this big data revolution, the market became like this and no one's looking at this. Right. Um, right. Not no one. I, I, I'm sure there are a lot of companies that are trying to look at this. It's just no one made it here, there yet. Right, right. Uh, if I were to give you the hundred percent answer, I think where we, I think it's our mindset that's stopping us. Okay. I know it sounds philosophical, but it, I don't think it's a coincidence that a bunch of nerds started exploring a problem as a hobby, hmm. and two and a half years later, they have this product that they can. Um, prove and they do with every occasion that it objectively beats companies that have been working at it for 20, 100, 150 years sometimes, mm. um, but doesn't have to go to market. It's uh, They developed like this. <laughs> yeah. Sure, there's, but I don't think it's a coincidence. I think we're, we're obsessed by the technical problems. Uh, it's a great advantage you can stay with a hard problem for years and years and never get bored and work on a lot of deep tech stuff and find solutions to problems that no one else had um, so yeah I think it's it's I think it's us I think it's me more, a lot in a lot of cases like I'm like to me sometimes I have to do the effort of um, I'll do free pilots, for example. I'm, I'm happy to put in some work for free with a company that can afford and should pay us. Um, and I have to do to train myself not to. I, it's an active effort. Like it's in, in yeah. my head, it's hard. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. As, as, a, as a founder, like I, like a, that, that's something I wasn't prepared for. Like I have to evolve my mindset constantly. And it, sometimes it, it's rough. 
Florin, this has been a wonderful chat. I think you have been most open and very refreshing to talk to you. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything we we left out that you would like to talk about? I think your your last point is is really interesting. Uh, like I, I love spending time with with other founders, and I find like it's it's, it's my one hobby in these years where where it's all about the business. Um, and I often hear things like. Um, or, or see people giving up because it's harder than they think it should be and the expectations set wrong and what am I doing so wrong that it took me six months to get to this and it's um, I don't think we should be that careful with the narrative that we put out uh, right. and I think there's at some point there's not that much to gain uh, from like sure some if you can make everything look perfect from the outside I think that's great um, but at some point, at some point, people will look in, and you have to have a, at the same level of perfection inside. Yeah. Um, and and it's I, I think it, I think we'd, we'd all be better founders if we shared this stuff between us. Sometimes you need patience. Absolutely, absolutely, I totally agree, and that's the whole idea of SaaS stories. SaaS Stories is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Pitchlink enables high-quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 990-216-3132. That is 990-216-3132. That's great, Florin. It was wonderful. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that we'll talk again and we'll share some notes one year down the line, six months down the line. As good things happen to you, I'm sure I'll be in the loop somewhere and, uh, and we'll find the opportunity to talk again. Okay. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations, including Roberto Crocky, Managing Director for Microsoft for Startups MEA, Abhijit Vijay Vargia, Co-Founder and CEO of Nectar.ai, Lazare Rossilan, Co-Founder and CEO of Spoke, and many more. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today and listening to this episode of SaaS Stories. This is where I speak with the dreamers and visionaries who dared to think ahead and build world-class SaaS products. We hope this conversation helped you with the insights that you can go and apply right now to your own SaaS journey. We hope to have you here with us again in the next episode of SaaS Stories. SaaS Stories is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform, and is a BizCast original production. 